Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Be glad in your presence and say, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We've come to worship you collectively. We have come to say, Lord God, that we cannot do without you. And you are the reason why we breathe, why we live. And the reason, oh God, because you have loved us with such everlasting love, that with courts of loving kindness through Jesus, you have drawn us unto yourself. So we've come to appreciate, to love, and to, oh God, to worship you. Receive the praise and the glory, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. And now, Lord, even as we gather, even as we minister and continue to minister, and as we sit at your feet to worship you, to hear from you, minister to us, minister to your people, O God, in a very special way. Those that are here, those that are watching, touch them. Give us, O God, favor and give us mercy. Forgive us our sins. And Lord God, we plead the blood of Jesus to cleanse us. And also, Lord, we pray that you would touch lives today. Bring us closer to you through Christ. Spirit of God, move in our midst, we pray. And draw us ever so close to the awesome, very presence of the throne room of God. Touch, oh God, precious ones, bring healing in, oh God. Touch precious ones too, oh God, in the needs that they are going through. Even, oh God, through the problems. Lift every burden in the name of Jesus and let your glory go forth. Thank you, Father. Because we ask this in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, God's people said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Welcome, precious people that are here and in-house, and we're so glad that you continue to come. And thank you for your faithful support and your coming to worship the Lord. And for those that are watching, whether it's right now on the Lord's Day or just about any day, we're so glad that you could join in our worship and to be able to be, uh, be here together in this service as we give thanks and praise to God. I wanted to go back into what would be the ointment we talked about God and about ourselves seeing God who can hear, God who can feel, God who can touch, who God also who can smell. We talked about how the very sins of mankind was a stench in the nostrils of God, and yet he talks about the fragrance that is sweet smelling. And so the sweet-smelling savour or the fragrance is very important. But when I talk about the Old Testament, we're not going there because these are um, the types and symbols and figures. But today we move into the New Testament, into the fulfillment. So we're not carrying all of the Old Testament things that were just a picture, but we come to that place where we experience the entire thing that we're talking about. So everything in the Old Testament, whether it be the priest, the temple, the sacrifice, they were all a shadow, a symbol. But when the Lord Jesus Christ comes in, everything to do with the Old Testament and the, uh, and the, and the ceremonial laws, everything finds their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. 
the Old Testament were living in the realistic or what would be the natural. And so it is from outward what they see, what they hear, what they feel, where they touch, what they smell. All of this gives them an impetus to worship, impetus to live for the Lord. So they had to be reminded by these seven fest, uh, feasts, whether it's Passover, Pentecost, Trumpet, uh, Day of Atonement, and all of the such like thing. We don't have that because we find that in the New Testament, it's totally different. We don't live by the literal because we live at the fulfillment. So unlike the Old Testament where you need to hear, where need you smell, where you need to see, and where you need to uh, feel and touch, all of this is replaced by what would be in the spirit. And so we are not motivated from outside. The outside has a big, um, plays a big part, but it begins from inside. So our motivation to praise the Lord is not coming because we are compelling from outside or trying to gear ourselves but literally, it is in our spirit. So all our blessings, Ephesians chapter 1, verse uh, 3 tells us, comes in our spiritual. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. So you mean to say all our blessings are spiritual? No. Blessing is in every aspect. It's a total blessing, but it begins in the spirit, then goes into the soul. Yes, the soul of emotion, the soul of will, the soul of intellect, all of them are involved, but it doesn't begin with the soul. It begins with the spirit, and then from the soul it goes into what would be the natural, the flesh, our physical natural, and then into the entire well-being. So unlike the Old Testament that needed the temple, that needed the priest, that needed all of the ceremony and all of the festivals, we know it is begins uh, there, but we come to the fulfillment where it basically begins in our spirit. So the Old Testament, the Passover, or the temple, and going down there, and all of that were important. In the New Testament, we are ultimately the temple of the living God. And we come to that recognition. He is in us the hope of glory. We don't have to go to a pilgrimage. The pilgrimage is within. We come. But of course, we have a lot of things that in the spirit, and then we move out. And so, yes, there's emotion. There is clapping of our hands. There's all of that. But it's not the outward so much as the inward. And right back in the Old Testament, you find God looks into the heart, not so much as a man that looks at the outward. All that being said, when I talk about the five ingredients that make up the composite, what was called the holy anointed ointment, we need to understand they have a specific place and they were real. And when you think about it, there were five different aspects of uh, spices, four different aspects of spice, uh, spices, and then one oil, which is the olive oil, where basically makes the base that makes what would be the holy anointing oil. But I want you to realize when you go into the Old Testament, the thing that you find there were literal, literally ointment that was used in a specific way into specific people. But in the New Testament, we don't have to use the oil. Of course, there is an aspect of where James talks about uh, uh, basically touching uh, uh, those that need healing with the oil and so forth. But oil is, so to speak, a point of contact. But uh, in many sense, we need to understand the healing takes place uh, far greater in the soul, in the spirit, when we recognize that God is very present and very near. Now, I want you to realize when you talk about uh, the five ingredients that makes up the composite or that this, 
the five uh, constituents that make up this uh, holy anointed ointment, we need to realize they were specific, five of them. And let's read about that in Exodus chapter 30. Uh, we'll read verse 23 and verse 24. Much later, we will cover the other aspect of that passage. But reading in verse 23, take thou also the three principal the, the, unto the principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels of sweet cinnamon, as so much, even 250 shekels, and sweet calamus, also 250 shekels, in verse 24, and cassia, 500 shekels, and the shekel of sanctuary, and the oil of olive, which is a hin or a gallon. Now, this composition is so important that we are told that it should not be put on flesh when you read verse 32. In other words, it is not something on the outward, it's something many people today, particularly in the Pentecostal movement, move what they call in the flesh, and many a times it's a lot of fleshly move. It is not simply an emotional, but it must come in the spirit. It's not about a fleshly thing. So when people do things in the flesh, talking about their kingdom, talking about collecting money and finance, all this, the Holy Spirit, it would seem to them, is a subservient. No, we are servant of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't wait on us. We wait for him. And it is not a personal kingdom building or a personal agenda. It is for the kingdom of God. That's what the Holy Spirit, to lead people to the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring them and usher them into the very presence of the Father through the precious blood of Jesus. Two things were important in the Old Testament. One is the blood. And even when you uh, come to that priestly duty, the blood uh, in three aspects of the body, and then the oil followed by the blood, never the oil, but always the blood, and then afterwards the, uh, the oil denoting the Holy Spirit. Now let me just say that when you turn to verse 33, it's not involved to any strangers, Exodus chapter 30. Uh, it's compounded, puts, do not put it on stranger. They should be cut off. In other words, this is not just for showing. This is not for exhibition. This is not even to impress some stranger. And in verse 37, it tells us, you cannot manipulate it. You cannot counterfeit it. This is the genuine stuff. Many things that caught and uncaught, all the Holy Spirit moved. It is their own flesh and the figment of the imagination, hyping up something that people are moved by emotions. People are moved by being hyped. This is something, as for the perfume which you shall make, you shall not make for yourself according to the composition of it. It shall be unto the Lord holy and totally for the Lord. So it's no counterfeiting, counterfeiting this, no manipulating this. It is purely, it belongs to God. Now that being said, let me just talk about back again in verse 23 of chapter, of chapter 30 of the book of Exodus. I talk about the five constituents or components that make up this uh, precious anointed oil. I want you to understand these five things are very important. So you're going to find in two categories. One category called the spices, and then the other, which is the base of it all, is oil. So you have four spices and one oil. Making up in that uh, composition or what would be the, the weight and shekels, basically, as it is mentioned in the Bible, they have a tremendous meaning. But I just want to say the first thing is to do 
with myrrh. And this is so important because it speaks to us today of what would be the bitter turning to better. It would speak to us of what would be death turning into life. It would speak of trials. It would speak of uh, testing. All of this are myrrh, and again, myrrh has a scent of death, or the sentence of death. I will talk about that in just a moment, where even as the baby Jesus, the gift that the wise men gave was gold and frankincense, but the third one is myrrh, and that is a sentence of death. Great teaching, though he did, great healing, though he did, but the reason he came, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, is for this purpose, it is to die for our sins and be buried and then rise up the third day. All of this is the centrality of what we talk about the gospel that uh, Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3, 4, and 5. That is the center of what we, the cruise of our doctrine, beginning with the Lord Jesus. His death, his burial, his resurrection. So my message this morning is to do with the five constituents the five composition, the five ingredients of this ointment, and yet it has to do so much with the passion, particularly during this Lent season. I know we don't have the uh, station of the cross, the Catholics do, but in many ways I want you to understand what I want to do is visit this in a biblical context to move what, what would be a, uh, the five aspects of the ingredient of this holy anointed oil, and yet everything talks about the Lord Jesus, speaking about the Holy Spirit, and then again, the Holy Spirit leading us to the, our Master and our Lord, and to be able to follow His footsteps and understand what it means to us for all that He went through, that He is our uh, mentor, he's our Lord, he's our master, that we follow him in the ultimate sense, he's the one we follow. When I talk about the myrrh, number one, it talks about bitter. And that bitter experience is a very important thing, even when the Passover, they had to taste something bitter. And there's a reason for it, and all of these compositions are very different from each other. There's the cinnamon that is sweet, and this one that is bitter, and then the other uh, composition of the, of the spices together, the oil, are so different. But when they come together, it makes the perfect, what you call, all things work together for good. The bitter, the sweet, the good, the bad, the pleasant, and the unpleasant, when you mix them, all things work together for good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, for those who love God and look for his appearance and are according to his purpose. So when we talk about the number one myrrh, I, will, I, I thought that I would finish all five when I started this, uh, began writing out as the Spirit was giving me. But then, last night I realized I would be able to only cover two. But when I did the eight o'clock, I wasn't even able to cover one, so it's extensive. But again, it will lead us right on to what would be the Good Friday and going into the Easter. Because any subject in the Bible, you take the temple, you take the priest, you take anything in the Old Testament, 
it has one way lane and it takes you right through the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, and the whole history and the songs that Psalm and Proverbs and Songs of Solomon goes through all of the minor and the major prophets and makes a Z right through to the Lord Jesus Christ. So every aspect of the subjects in the Old Testament point out to, and Jesus said, look, and for yourself, all of the law and the prophets, they point to me. I'm paraphrasing his words. So when you look at this passage, you can take any subject and still come to every aspect of what would be of our Lord, and more so particularly because we would be celebrating this very uh, moment about the Lent and what it means to us and how uh, we can learn so much in the application of this word. So when I talk about myrrh, it is not only bitter, but we also find in this a time of testing, a time of what would be uh, the Lord giving us a trial, all this for a purpose that we would come forth as uh, the finest gold. The second is calamus, uh, the second is basically um, cinnamon, and that is found in verse 23, and the cinnamon is sweet. It's basically talking about sweetness in a desert, or even through the valley of the shadow of death, that we bring about the sweetness. And I will talk about what it would mean, because it could be hurtful for many, and yet when you realize how the Lord Jesus Christ used all of what he went through to the glory of the Father, we must realize he becomes the object lesson. He becomes the very person we can learn from. Thank God for good people, but nothing and no one can compare with our Lord Jesus. Thank God for the Father that he didn't just send anybody. And I will talk about the pearl of great price. I will talk about the rose of Sharon. I will talk about all of the ingredients. And when you think it all points to, and if Jesus was not in heaven, we would be left with none, none else, not even the greatest like Michael or Gabriel could have done what only the Lord Jesus could have done. So the Father sent him. In sending him, he emptied heavens. Think about it, my friend. You are so unworthy. This is a planet in rebellion. Why would he, the Father, send someone very precious? Remember that in the parables of the Lord Jesus, a noble man, after which his servants were maltreated, killed, and so forth, he could show revenge. He could blast the entire people that he had asked to occupy his farm. And when he goes to see what's going on, they didn't care. They killed some of his servants. And what does the nobleman do? Amazing. He sends his son whom they killed. But this is a parable about such a great love. When you think about some people looking in the Old Testament and saying, God in the Old Testament was ferocious, my friend. God is gracious, is merciful, is loving, is kind. In fact, the way he introduced himself to Moses is, I am the compassionate, the merciful, the merciful, the gracious God. And we are dealing with a father as the book of Jeremiah says, 
who has such love, everlasting love, that he's drawing us to himself with cords, with string, with the ladder, the only way to fill or to fill that void that we could be able to go and the cross of Jesus Christ uh, fills that gap. And this is so important. And as much as you want to try every other means, maybe, maybe not, but I know one sure, and that doesn't come from earth to heaven. It comes from heaven, from the very bosom of the Father. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when you think about cinnamon, it is an experience even through the valley and the wilderness and the desert, there is still the sweetness in all of these uh, harsh experiences. And you can study the life of Jesus, particularly in that Passion Week. In fact, three-fourths of the Gospels have not to deal with his birth or his miracles or his stories. A large portion Three-fourths of the Gospels, whether it is Matthew, Luke, John, or Mark, it deals mostly from the moment that clock begins to tick when he is facing Jerusalem and is on his way to Jerusalem. Every minute moment is recorded by all the four Gospels. Why? Because this is important. You may say the miracles are important. I say the way to the cross was the most important, ultimately culminating in the cross in Calvary of Gethsemane. And this becomes a very important. Without that, we would be miserable. If you want to say he came to make us prosperous, my friend, you with your Bentley and your Lockheed plane would still go to hell without a savior. Thank God that he has enriched us and blessed us in every place. It's a total blessing beginning in our spirit and then into our emotions, our will, our, our intellect, into our very willpower and every aspect of the soul into our very body, even outwardly like Psalm chapter 1, the blessedness of a man. This is all around, even in our financial and every areas. And so... Second uh, John chapter 3 is very important, but always remember spiritual first before anything else. And again, in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, it's spirit, then soul, then body, not body, and then soul and spirit. So that being said, the Old Testament had the body, then the soul, then the spirit. But for us, because of all that Jesus did, you know, for me, the pilgrimage is not important. It is simply meeting with the Lord right where he is in our heart, to be able to know him, love him, and enjoy him. And of course, uh, forsake not the assembling of yourself, Hebrews chapter 10, 25 tells us, but not at the expense of not having a personal devotion, of a personal worship, having a personal time with the Lord. It must begin within ourselves. Can you say amen? Amen. So when you go to the second, third one, it's calamus, and that's talking about something of what would be an experience of humility, an experience of sacrifice. And so the fourth one is found in verse 24, and that is Cassia, and that is speaking about from death to resurrection. So when you look into the third one, uh, basically, Calamus telling us Paul's determination, his aim, his ambition, 
that I might know him and the fellowship of his suffering. But when you come into the fourth one, it is uh, basically a cassia that is speaking about that I might know the power of his resurrection. In the end, he says that I might know him, that I'd love him, that I might win him. And forsaking all others, take him totally and completely. There's no comparison. God has not given us anything that we can even compare with. He is the one. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. He is our King. He is our great and mighty Savior. Give the Lord a clap offering. So when we come to the fourth, these are all I mentioned, the spices. And then in verse 24, towards the end, a hin or almost a gallon of olive oil that forms the base. So they're compounded together and they're called simply the anointed ointment. Uh, and this is very important. When I think about the anointed, the Hebrew word is Mashiach. That's the word for anointed. The Greek word is Christos, and the English word is Christ. So when I say the anointed oil, it is the Spirit of Christ, the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to understand, where does that fit with us today? I am not just bringing in about the theme of the Lord Jesus or what the Holy Spirit, it's I want you to know application is towards us. So the Bible talks of us as the Christos or the ones that follow the Christ, and we are called the Christians. And then again, the anointed, uh, the anointment of the Holy Spirit is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 tells us that we are endured with power from on high, but we receive power that we might be his witnesses, beginning in Judea, don't just say this is all there is to it and hang there. Many evangelicals, just when you talk about it, Israel, 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 Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you need to keep moving on to Judea and keep moving on to Samaria, keep moving on to the rest of the world. There are Arabs, there are uh, people in Africa and uh, Caribbean, and they are as dear as Israel. For some evangelicals, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in Israel, knock it off. Israel is one. When Jesus died, he stretched his hand and said to everybody, and if you can preach to bin Laden, if he was alive, God be praised. Everybody is within the scope of salvation, but do not put Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria to the uttermost part of the world. Everybody. And those that are watching, I want you to know, there is no nepotism with the Lord. The Lord loves you just as he loves people across the world in the Christian zone. He loves everyone, and God sent his son to give his life for you, that you would be saved because he loves you. Now, I want you to realize something very important. Uh, when you go into this passage in the Bible, you're going to find something very important. Everything that we read about among the anointment or anointing of the anointment oil simply comes into this realm where God has blessed us. And that's the reason God sent us. The greatest blessing is salvation. The greatest blessing is peace with God. The greatest blessing is to have an intimate relationship with God, the Almighty, but He's our Father through Jesus Christ. 
As many as received him, John chapter 1 and verse 12, to them gave he power, authority, to become sons and daughters of God. God has no stepchildren. God has no grandchildren. God has no nephews and nieces. God only has children. You must be related to him through Jesus. You could do all the ritual. I'm not against it. But my friend, it won't get you any nearer to heaven. You might say, I have a glimpse of heaven. But to be able to know that you have life and life eternal, you must know the life, the truth, and the way in Jesus. Give the Lord a clap offering. So when you go into this passage, I want you to realize, let's take a couple of uh, scriptures because uh, this is so important with me that I need to back it up with the scriptures. Let's begin with Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 9. And here you find the... Uh, anointed with the oil of gladness. So this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's referring to uh, Psalm 45. But he says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness about your fellows. Well, when you think about the oil of gladness, we will be talking about this uh, different ingredients that will be, there's nothing joy when you particularly think about myrrh, when you think about calamus, when you think about uh, all the other uh, spices, uh, they're not the greatest experience. And yet you find God has anointed him with the oil of gladness. I want you to realize that he was on the cross and I want you to understand what the Holy Spirit is revealing uh, his heart. He had been ridiculed. He has been spat upon. He's been uh, um, harmed. Uh, he's thrown in, and they would prefer a Barabbas today. The world still wants a Barabbas rather than Jesus. And I want you to realize in all of what he went through, Creator, being humiliated by the creation. Why would he do it? There were legions waiting for him to strike. Not just the earth, the entire universe would be out of flame, would be burning into cinders, and yet he didn't. Why he came to die for you and for me, and he went all the way to the cross. But there's something about him, and the Holy Spirit reveals his heart, because when you read Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, I want you to particularly note what the writer of Hebrews is saying in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Who for the joy, the anointing, the ointment of gladness was upon him. Who for the joy, even while they were spitting, even while they were putting the nail of crown upon him, even while they were bargaining his forest cloak, even while they're reviling him, even while they pierced his hand and pierced his side and hung upon the cross, who for the joy that was before him endured the pain, endured the passion, Endured the suffering, endured the cross, death. However agonizing it was, for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame, he was stark naked, humiliated. He was ridiculed. And yet the joy that was before, for you and for me, 
and for you who are watching. I know not the greatest of men in this world who would have gone through what Jesus did. Someone says, there is a savior somewhere in the world. Oh, I like to see him. We like to put him through all the torture, put him on the cross, crucify him, bombard him, spit upon him, and let's see if he wants to still be a savior. Only one, and that is Jesus Christ that fulfilled all the scripture in the Old Testament. I want you to understand, my friend, people, despite all of the Old Testament prophecies, would rather have a Barabbas, even today. Very few people, but in the ultimate end, they would cry, but there would be no use. We're not going to be reincarnated from a monkey to a cat to a dog and then to a man and then given a chance again. One life and only one, and after that, the judgment. This is the opportunity when you make decisions, you either rise or fall on the decisions you make, but there is one decision and one alone. That is what is was asked. What will you do with this Jesus? People said, crucify him. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons and daughters of God. Now let me just say, when you think about this, something is so important, particularly when you think about who he is. Uh, in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, the anointing of, on Jesus was so powerful. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. How the Father anointed the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus began his ministry, but even before he began his ministry, it was by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we find in Romans, the same spirit that is in Christ, if it be in you, it will raise you, and, and no matter what you go through with all of what you're talking about, the passion and the pain and the suffering, you will know there's a reason. We go through it not for our salvation. Jesus Christ our Lord went for our salvation. And yet this five ingredients speaks to us of what would be the cross. Would be meaning what Paul said, that I would know him, but he says the fellowship of his suffering. I've said this a couple of times. It's easier to cast out a demon. Because it's not because of you. Because of the name of Jesus, demons will have to flee. Demons tremble and they know their future. But let me just remind you, the trouble we have is not the demons. Uh, you can cast it away, otherwise bring deliverance ministry that are well versed in this. And ultimately, you will have the demons running away. But the problem with the Christians, whether they're baby Christians or old veteran Christians, is the flesh. And what's happening is the finest, the greatest preachers to the greatest men that you watch on television, pride is a big deal. They haven't crucified it. Many a times we struggle with selfishness and pride and, and jealousy and hatred. It's all within. And that's the reason, not for our salvation. Jesus went to the cross, but the Lord invites us to go into the fellowship of his suffering to crucify the flesh so that we would have feed the new man 
and let the old nature die within us. This is not what God can do. This is not casting out. It's easy to say, hey, jealousy, get out. Oh, pride, get out. No, it is dying to all of this. And so fasting is important, but most importantly, a sense of repentance and realization and to be able to go through the walk or the road to Calvary. Again, this is to die to the self and die to the pride and die to all of the things that hurt us and impair us in the walk with the Lord. May the Holy Spirit convict us, particularly during this. When we discuss the five uh, composition, they speak not only about Jesus, but comes to us as well. Something else about the Lord Jesus, not only was anointed by the Father uh, in a mighty way to do miracles and good work, but there's a sense of fragrance. I'll talk about this when we go to the Songs of Solomon. And this is like the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valley. These are basically the rose with the thorns and the Lily of the Valley in the pond that is muck and dirt and yet shines out like a diamond that is in a, in a coal. I want you to realize what's so important, the fra fragrance that is that the Lord emits is something that comes through this passion walk, through this pain, through these bitter experiences, and something so important for us to learn, it is so important that if we have to come forth as gold, we need to look at the life of Jesus Christ. It is not a guru that wants the popularity and wants the greatest and the best jet and the best plane. It is one that walked the streets of Galilee and that was humble and meek. He left aside his deity and his divinity and he became like us, a mortal man born into what would be subjugated people under Rome. And again, in a poor place, though he was born out of the stock of David and yet in sense, just a nobody under the mighty hand of Rome. But there's something about that fragrance about the Lord Jesus you find, particularly Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2 tells us, I want to read this so you can understand and walk in love as Christ also, now listen to what it says, loved us and has given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling fragrance. I'm not talking about a fragrance stick. I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ that, that exudes such an amazing savour, sweet-smelling fragrance. This is what makes the Lord so precious. And there's a sense in which if he would come, and I want you to know in a spiritual sense, the natural man will want to put all of the spice and all of this. No, I'm talking about you that are spiritual, understand spiritual, and the spiritual doesn't work with soul or flesh in that way. And when you have the presence of the Lord, there's a spiritual fragrance, like in the spiritual, not in the natural, you see the Lord. Just like in the spiritual, you hear the Lord. Like, like in the spiritual, you can touch the Lord. Just like in the uh, uh, spirit, you can feel the Lord. I'm not talking about the flesh. I'm talking about the spiritual level. And so the Spirit of God is so different. That is why the natural man cannot understand the spiritual. He says, I don't touch it. I don't feel him. I don't see him. My friend, you are in the flesh. That's what happened. You need to be 
born again. In other words, regenerated and be born. Your spirit, the candle, is not burning. And the only way you can do it is by knowing him and being having a new birth. But yes, we have our soul. And there's a lot of what is called soul worship and a soul religion, they all emphasize the soul. Some of the greatest philosophies that come from the East are soul. Not spiritual at that level, but it is soul. It's good. There's a lot of meaning to that. It's ritual and it's sacrifice and it's religiosity, but not to the place that is the highest zenith. Love can be the flesh. Eros. Love can be a brotherly in the soul, filio. Love can be also stergo, but the ultimate love, and this is where Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, I filio you, I love you. But Jesus says, do you love me? And that is the highest spiritual level, a sacrificial love, when he says, do you Agape me. That is the highest spiritual level. And you need to understand in everything there is the spiritual. And the spiritual man must be able to grasp these things. The solical man grasps the solical. All of them are important. I talked to you in the meetings that I had before that the soul is important. And one of the ways in Christians are failing is in the soul level and the emotional level. They accentuate on the spiritual, but we need to be in the soul and the flesh. But nothing compares with the spirit. When you accentuate on the soul, intellect, will, all of this, you reach high places. The book of Proverbs talk about it. People are where they are, high up there, because they are proficient in the soul, intellect, emotion, and all of this are important. But that being said, you could be a CEO of a multi-trillion dollar company, and if you do not have your spirit ignited, and that you have not born again, all of this having said, one day you're going to leave this world and you would not carry anything. You're done. You're finished. And that is where all of this is important. The body is important. And the Bible says our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And yet in the highest realm, the spiritual is very important. So when you go into the Old Testament, you say, why don't we bring all the ceremony into the New Testament? Why don't you bring all the paraphernalia into the New Testament church? Because that is the Old Testament. They were showing to you the spiritual, and the spiritual man understands it. If I were to impress you by putting Aaron's garb and doing all of these senses and holy senses, you say, oh my God, we saw the Holy Spirit move. You didn't see anything. You just saw the color. If you didn't feel the Holy Spirit... Pastor, if you jump up a bit, we would feel that's a motion. But the Holy Spirit speaks to you, even as a man speaks plainly, because it's the spirit to spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to your spirit. A preacher doesn't have to dance. It's not a gymnasium. It is not a theater. It is not to impress people. He's just giving you, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, spirit to spirit. And that is what you must be able to grasp. Now, that being said... Here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, the fragrance of the Lord. That is powerful. That is tremendous. You know, when you look at what would be a powerful passage, how does that relate to you and to me? Okay, let's go there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. 
I want you to listen carefully to this word. Now he, that is God, which established us with you in Christ, and hath, what does it say? Anointed us is God. So what Jesus received and what Jesus our Lord gives, the same anointing. So what he says, as the Father sent me, I sent you. As the Father anointed me, I anoint you. Go and be fruitful. Now, very important when you read this, he says, now he which establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us. And who has done that? God the Father has done this to Christ. So suddenly you're going to find all that Christ did on the cross. We become the beneficiaries. That is why the Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, bless his holy name. And then goes so to say the benefits. It is spirit, it is soul, it is body, including health, and but the most important, redeemed my soul. And then healeth my body. And who gives me good things in the spiritual as well as physically to eat and to enjoy and good health. There's so much of that benefit that comes to us in the spirit, soul, and body. Now, that being said, we're anointed, but what does that mean? We go to 2 Corinthians and chapter 2 and verse 14 and verse 15. Now, again, listen to what it says here. Paul says, now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the fragrance of his knowledge by us in every place. The sweet-smelling savour manifested in us through Christ in every place. It is both to the believers and to the unbelievers. So in the next verse, you're reading this. For we are unto God. Say this together with me. For we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. In other words, Christ, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 says, is the sweet smelling savour to the Father. Now what he does is through the cross, and he comes, he blesses after his resurrection, and before he's ascended, he gives them the blessing. And what happens is the anointing comes upon, and literally after 10 days after his resurrection on the day of Pentecost, but there's something that we are the sweet-smelling savour unto God through Christ. There's something that we need to understand, that the early disciples, they were called disciples. Then they were called the people of the way. But there's something I want you to understand. There's a word that came into formation in Acts chapter 11. It would be interesting to know that Barnabas comes in and picks up Saul, who becomes Paul. And at that point, we are continuing the story when they come to Antioch. So if you read Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, I want you to particularly note that one word. It says, when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, that is, Barnabas brings Paul. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves in the church, that is, in Antioch, and taught much people. Now listen to this. And the disciples were Christ called Christians first in Antioch. The disciples were called Christ, light, Messiah, 
or what would be the fragrance, the anointed one, the little anointed ones, follower of the anointed. So I want you to understand the translation of it. Jesus said in chapter 8 of John, I am the light of the world. And then in Matthew, in the Sermon of the Mount, in chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, in verse 16, he says, you are the light of the world. Don't hide the light under a bushel. So suddenly, the lighted one, the light lighted us. The one who is the salt tells me that you and I are the salt. So we are the light and the salt, and we are in this as ambassadors. It doesn't matter whether you are black or white, rich or poor, or educated or uneducated. It matters that you have been anointed of God through Jesus Christ and never looked down at what God has done. Every one of you that know the Lord is important. We're not perfect, but from glory to glory, He's leading us. Now, I want you to understand something very important, that the anointing starts with the head. And so this is very important because in Acts, in Psalm chapter 23 and verse 5, listen to what the psalmist says about the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd and so forth and so forth. Then he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. In Psalm 133, he says, how wonderful, how beautiful, how fantastic, I'm paraphrasing, it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the anointing oil that came upon Aaron, went down from his head all the way upon his beard, even Aaron's beard, that went to the skirts of his garment. The next is the description of what it is like, from the mountain all the way down, and in every aspect, the Lord commands his blessing. That's how it flows. The Lord commands his blessing because there's an anointing and the anointing has a blessing. But not only the anointing has a blessing, but this is so important because in the context of the Old Testament, the Assyrians have surrounded the people of Israel. And what happens is they had yoked them, marked them, literally said, this is all you can do, limited them. They were bonded slaves. They had basically yoked. They were slaves. That is what Satan does. In the New Testament, it is not the Assyrians. It is not the Egyptians. It's not the Babylonians. I will talk about Babylonian when we come to the second one that would basically do, the, uh, it's uh, about the uh, cinnamon. But it's a powerful study. But here, it's the Assyrians. But when you come to the spirit of what it means, it means God is going to break the yoke that the devil has put on us. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Let's read this in Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 27. Now, in the context given by Isaac, Isaiah to, uh, to Israel, this is the Spirit of God speaking to the church. And it shall come to pass that in the day that his burden, his burden shall be taken away from off his shoulder and the yoke from his neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. I'm going to say this, my friend. If you are waiting for someone to dance, jump and scream, and then only you'll be healed, you're so mistaken. 
In your spirit, I want you to understand, this is not of the flesh, this is of the Holy Spirit. There are people that are literally yoked with fear. There are people literally yoked with pain. There are people literally yoked with unforgiveness. There are people yoked with bad habits and they can't get out. But I'm going to speak this word and say in Jesus' name, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, let the yoke be broken. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let this yoke be broken because the anointing breaks every yoke. Have you felt spiritually your shoulder? Have you felt the limitations that you simply can't walk with the Lord? Have you felt yourself in incriminatory, discriminatory, or in many ways that you feel, I cannot approach God because my sin is so heavy? The Lord has forgiven you, has made access for your forgiveness. John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sin, He's just and faithful to forgive us all our sins. And yet there are people with this terrible feeling of incrimination discrimination or recrimination and saying I just don't think I don't think God loves me God hates me my friend that is the work of the devil and he is putting a heavy heavy load upon your shoulder and yoking your mind and yoking your body and oaking your emotion and your intellect and your will that you really can't perform and what he's done is put a number on people I was talking to someone very precious and said how important it is that I have been calling up people, more so the seniors. And I said, it's two years. Don't wait for three and four years. You need to take a step to come out by faith. You're listening to me, and I want you to understand this. The enemy has put you and bound you in your room. Now you are so afraid to come out. And this person said, Pastor, that's what I had to tell my mother-in-law. We felt the same thing. I actually talked to two of the ministry leaders and said, come out. Otherwise, you would basically be bonded and yoked. The fear and sickness will increase. They had many excuses, and they are still bound by this horrible darkness, born-again, spirit-filled. I'm speaking to you today, and it's time for you to take the step. You see, my friend, this, what we're doing on the online, is for those that are far away, who can't come to church. But for you, you need to take the step of faith and come to the house of God and worship the Lord. It's collectively. You say, you don't understand. COVID would come back, and yet you go to the market, you go to work, you go to the street, you go to the train. COVID doesn't strike you. Why is it the devil telling you when you come to the house of God, COVID comes? This is a place where the Lord is and there is liberty of the Lord. It's time for people to flee Egypt and come into Gershon, come into the promised land, Cain. And it's time for you to take the step. Believers are called believers that they will believe. Yes, there was a time to be shut in, in the ark, but now the ark is open and the Lord says, step out. How would you like to be there in the ark? Oh, I'm afraid of the water. It's marshy. I don't see any trees. Come out. Come out. You need to be in the house of the Lord and not forsake the gathering of yourselves as some do. Now, let me remind you a very important thing that you need to, we need to take into grips is the part of what the Bible is talking to us, that there they were called Christians, the anointed one. This is important. 
All this to say that we are going to do number one. Number one is chapter 30 and verse 23, and it is called, the first one is the myrrh. Think about it, my friend. The myrrh simply in this Hebrew means bitter. I mentioned that the ancient Jews during the Passover have something bitter to remind them of the experience of what it was the bitter, lest they become bitter and not better. God brought them out and they are always reminded, be in the booth and remember who you are and never get your head eye, even though you would be rich. Always keep in mind how the Lord saved you, the bitter experiences for you never to forget. Some forget their own place of birth. Some forget their own family. Some forget their own friends and believers. We are reminded that we're all bonded together, more so in that bitter time of experience that we've gone through. And it's a reminder that we'll never forget. But that being said, we are not going to be bitter. We're going to be better. Can you say amen? amen. So when you talk about myrrh, it means bitter. And Jesus went through the most bitter experience. Study the passion in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you're going to find the hurt and the pain and the insults hurt, hurled at him. And instead of being bitter, he became better. You know, there are experiences in people's life, every one of them. Name me one person in the Bible that have done well without a bitter experience that they have overcome to become better. In fact, there was one person whose name was Naomi, but she had a bitter experience. Her husband died, then Shalon and Malon, her children died. So you have three. She's bitter. But there is a woman that stayed with her and was faithful to her, and she's a Moabitess, and she's thinking of going to Jerusalem. Those people are not going to consider you, Moabitess Ruth. They will think of you as a third class. You are going among people who have a class, they think. Others are dogs. But no matter what, Ruth says, where you go, I go. Where you live, I live. Your God shall be my God. You can't keep me away. A Moabitess, knowing the risk, goes there, but end of the day, God works with Naomi as she works with Ruth. You can read about it in the book of Ruth. A whole book about a Moabitess. A whole book to people that are outside the fold, you might feel. God opens the bridge, God opens the fence, and includes everyone. That is the greatness of God. <laughs> Naomi comes you to Jerusalem. And they say, Naomi is back. Naomi means pleasant. She says, call me not pleasant. Call me bitter. Mara, that is who I am. Bitter! But then comes the faith of Ruth. And then comes what Naomi is able to bring her to, and all of this makes this person, Ruth Amorbitis, a lover of God, a lover of God's people. What the way it ends with is they are calling Naomi a blessed woman. 
For she becomes the great-grandmother of one that is, will be the king of Israel, David. Her grandson will be called Jesse. Think about it for a moment. What an amazing story. And this Ruth is considered like the princess of Israel. May we be like Ruth. Moabites? No, someone got moved in from the bitter to the better. You could be like Ruth. You could be them. We moved out from there. Look at Moses. It could be a bitter, terrible experience for 40 long years. Look at Joseph. Look at David. Look at Paul. Look at David, Peter. Look at you. We all gone through that, haven't we? And yet through that bitter experience, it is God allowing the myrrh to come into our life. Let me just tell you about myrrh. This is very interesting. Myrrh is a tree. And there's nothing much about the tree, and yet many people are like that tree, and they die like that tree. Something has to be done to the tree to get the great expensive perfume. The tree must be stripped, excuse me, the tree must be stripped. God sent Jesus, he is the tree. They stripped him naked, and then they pierced him. And when they pierce the tree, there comes out what would be tears that the people in the Middle East call it tears of blood. And that's what Jesus did. When they pierced him, blood and water came out, the blood and then the water, the Holy Spirit, 10 days later. The church is birthed by the blood and by the Spirit blood of Jesus and the Spirit of God. Now, just remind you that all of this comes about, that this tree of blood comes out and Jesus there on the cross. The ultimate part of that Passion Week is Jesus on the cross and blood and he's bleeding. I mean, they put the crown and then they pierce him and he's hung on the cross. And I want you to know the blood hardens. What do you do with the tree? The tree is stripped. The tree is pierced. And then comes tears of blood. And the tears of blood is hardened. And then you, it emits a fragrance, but not fully. It is steamed. And comes the costliest perfume. How costly it is? Go to the Bible in Genesis. You can read about it. When the uh, Midianites were coming, leaving Jerusalem. What do you think they meet? They meet the brothers who tried to tell Joseph. What were they carrying? Among other things, the most expensive spice called myrrh, taking it out of Jerusalem. When Jacob wanted to gift the person who, who blessed them, not knowing it was his own son, what do you think he sends his sons with? Among the costliest was myrrh. When the Persian wanted this queen, and so it was Esther, you can read in the book of Esther, a whole year, and what was the perfume that was used? Myrrh. Myrrh must and can only come when it goes through stripping and piercing and blood. Jesus went through it all. Now I want you to understand when you talk about, and I will be talking about Songs of Solomon, 
talking about the mud dripping out of his sand in Song of Solomon chapter 5 and verse 5, talking about Songs of Solomon chapter 1 and verse 3 about the man that is mud with myrrh. There's a certain perfume, there's a certain fragrance. It comes with a cost. It comes with pain. I rise to open to my beloved and my hands drip with myrrh. Songs of Solomon chapter 1 and verse 3. Look at the way in which it's described. Because of the fragrance of your good ointment, your name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love you. There's something I want you to understand. In all of this, you find so amazingly this story of this tree. You are the tree. And when you refuse to go through that experience and lock yourself up and you say, I blame everybody, I'm bitter, I'm against God, I'm against man, I'm against my neighbor, I'm against my mother, my father, my husband or my wife, you have never opened yourself. You have what is the myrrh and yet the fragrance has not come out. It has to be punctured. And the moment you refuse to let yourself come out of this bitter experience, you will never be better. The moment you never experience death, you will never have the resurrected life. There's a passage which says willingness, Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 42, not my will, but your will be done. It's a symbol of willingness. A symbol of willingness. Do you know it is so much to do with Jesus? In fact, when you turn to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11, what do you think they brought baby Jesus? You find, among other things, myrrh, sentence of death on Jesus. He came for that reason. Don't worry about that. That is why he came. When you read this passage about the cross and the experience of the cross, in John chapter 19 and verse 39, think about it again. You find that here is Nicodemus, which came at night when he first came in, and he brought a mixture of myrrh. And again, he's a Pharisee, and he's from the Sanhedrin, but he's a follower of the Lord Jesus. Secret, howbeit, he comes out openly. And again, I believe in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 61, maybe, you find another man, in whose tomb Jesus was put, he is known as Joseph of Arimathea. And what does he do? He comes with myrrh to anoint the feet of Jesus, to anoint the body of Jesus. The woman in that cross, they came later, three days. They hoped now that the body would be stinking, so they would put the, they come there and they find. But the Bible says in Luke, the second last, in verse 23, they came and prepared spices and myrrh. All this is wonderful, but I want you to realize an amazing aspect of what myrrh is. Psalm 45 and verse 8. Listen, talking about the Lord Jesus. It is a wonderful experience. All your garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia. We'll talk about the others. Out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. Talking about that, the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to what Hebrews chapter 5 uh, and verse 2, uh, I think Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8. Read that passage. And this is what the writer of Hebrew alludes to the Lord Jesus. Though he were a son, yet learned the obedience by the things which 
he suffered. I was talking to people on Saturday, on Wednesday, baptism class. Jesus didn't have to be baptized, and yet at the protestation of John, I should be baptized, not you. I'll be honored. I am even not worthy to touch your shoes. Jesus says, let it be so that we would fulfill all righteousness. I want you to realize here, though he was the son of God, yet learned he obedience by the things he went through the bitterness. And that's why he's the best of the best. I want you to realize one amazing thing is Isaiah chapter 53 at verse 10. Who afflicted him? The Jews? The Romans? No, you and me. But listen, ultimately, who did it? Yet it pleased the Father God to bruise him. He has put him to grave. Why, Father, why? For you and for me. God so loved the world, he realized we are all the way going to the abyss of hell. He said, will you go? And Jesus said, I'll willingly go. He came down to this earth, and this passion play ultimately culminates. He's bruised. He's put to grief. Then you shall make his soul an offering, an offering, offering for sin. Why would he be an offering for sin? We're not talking about Gabriel, or we're not talking about the mighty Michael, but we're talking about Jesus. He becomes an offering. I'm reading from the Jewish Bible, okay? What an incredible aspect. Now let me just say before I close, here is Peter saying to the church in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. Uh, it's incredible. It says here in verse 7, the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold. Why the trial of a faith more precious than gold, you are being refined day by day till you reach perfection. Like I said, we're saved by the blood of Jesus, but your reward depends on what you do. Are you allowing yourself to be refined that you will be the finest? In the end, wood, hay, and stubble will burn, but only that which survives, it is uh, gold and silver and the precious stones. In natural word, it means the, that you have been refined and your reward is amazing in heaven. You are richer than the richest man in the entire earth because of the blood of Jesus. But you are in a position as prince, princes or great things in heaven for what you do. Do not let that opportunity go, even the trial of your faith. Even if you're going through a trial of fire, a test of fire, God allows this. Why? First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Listen to what it says here. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is a trial you as though some strange thing. It is for your good. The myrrh is for your good. From where you are bitter to help you to be better. From where you are deaf and dying in a world to be able to be resurrected in the newness of life. James chapter 1 and verse 3. Listen to what it says here. What a marvelous way. He says, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience that goes on. The other things, it works in your life. That is the most amazing thing. And this is incredible. But finally, let me just say this. Before I close, if you were to translate the word myrrh from Greek, it would be Smyrna. Smyrna. Do you remember Smyrna? There's a church in Smyrna. Revelation 
chapter 2 and verse 10, the Lord Jesus is addressing the church in myrrh. For fear not for those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you in prison. You shall be bare, uh, tried and you shall have tribulation, so forth and so forth. What's wrong here? The rottest wrong is Myrna were devoted to the worship of the emperor. So much so, Domitian, who basically wanted all worship, said, everyone must worship me. And the Christian said, we will not. You are our king, but Jesus is the Lord. Ultimately, he said, I'm going to do you a favor. You don't have to turn to the idol, if that's what you mean. Just throw incense from the back behind. And they said, front, behind, sidewards, we will not worship an idol. Jesus is the Lord. The trial they went through. The trial they went through. The trial they went through. But can I just give you an example? Smyrna is only a name for people the people living in Smyrna never knew what it is to be a Maya. They were not fragrance to God. I know people who are called joy. They never experienced joy, peace. They have anything but peace. And many a time, we carry with us this tree called myrrh. And this time of passion, we're reminded, are we a loving God? Not for the sake for our salvation, so we could be refined and come forth as the finest gold. I love God to put us to trial because there's a heaven above. There's a reward in heaven. And it doesn't matter how bitter the experience, Job just bowed down and worshiped God, no matter what. That is the ultimate. Father, bless us, we pray. And help us, even though we be tried by the fire, that they would emit out of this tree the fragrance of myrrh. The tree translates into fragrance that is well-pleasing. Worship, praise, and a life that is worth the living in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.